Good morning. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, we'll be standing in a little bit, uh, but that's 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. These precious two verses that the Lord has allowed me to preach serves as the introduction to a whole new section in Peter's letter. A letter that tells us how to live the kind of lives that testify of our faith in Jesus Christ. You will see in the coming weeks, he touches on such areas as our respect for our government and our leaders. Our faithfulness in our jobs. Our relationship to our employers. Our relationship as husbands and wives. And even our responses towards those who do us wrong. And why does he do that? It's all so that we will know how to live in such a way that the unbelieving people around us will be more inclined to believe the truth of the gospel we preach. So let's look at 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, and please stand as I read God's words to you. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it reads this way. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You may be seated. When I was preparing for this passage, I really appreciated the gentle way. You know, sometimes I hear people say scripture is very harsh. Well, I really appreciate the gentle way that Peter begins the words of our passage this morning. Did you notice? He called his readers beloved. I'm sure some of the folks back then probably weren't living the way they should. Some of them had probably not at times been the best representation of the Christian faith to those around them. Some of them may have even been an occasional cause for unbelieving people to say this. I don't think we've ever heard that. It's that kind, if that's the kind of people you are, I don't want anything to do with the Christian faith. I've got this gut feeling here that such would be the case for many of us today. You see, that's just the way it is when imperfect people like us are given a message to declare to a fallen world. I know personally that I have probably turned some folks off to the Christian faith. We've all done that. We've all failed in one occasion or another. But thankfully, thankfully, our failure to consistently live like what we are doesn't change the fact that we truly are what we are in the sight of God. 
The church is still what Peter says it is in verses 9 to 10. Jeremy so arrogantly shared it last Sunday. Let me read it if you don't remember what 9 and 10 says. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have attained mercy. That's who we are now. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we truly are beloved, even if the unbelieving people of the world may not think so. And knowing that I am eternally beloved and I am precious to God, hopefully it doesn't make us want to be careless. I know it doesn't want, you know, I want to be careful. It makes me want to live more as God would want me to live. I hope that's true of all of you here. That because we're beloved of God, we are careful to be that beloved. And with that in mind, there's one more thing I appreciate about the way that Peter starts this passage. Notice, He doesn't command us. He doesn't threaten us. He doesn't even order us. Instead, he appeals to us. And he urges us and says it this way. Beloved, I urge you. It is as if he's appealing to us to do what is right and logical and sensible considering the glorious truth of who we are in Christ. It's my prayer. It's my hope. That's how how we will receive these words together this morning. We won't feel like it is a strong rebuke or a harsh command, but I'm praying and hoping that we've, Take it as a sincere, loving appeal to behave like we are in the light of God's wonderful grace. So, let us notice how Peter begins this passage. He begins by reminding us in the first half of verse 11 what we are. What are we? Well, let me read it to you. He writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. That's who we are. Sojourners and exiles. One thing as I went through this scripture, I've noticed that those two words, sojourners and exiles, are translated all sorts of different ways and other translations. I'm sure a lot of you have it. The NIV, it translates them as aliens and strangers. Okay, I think other ones use the word pilgrims. 
It's hard to pinpoint the attendant difference between those two words, okay? I don't know the difference between aliens and strangers or sojourners and exiles, okay? I really don't. But here's one thing that I know seems very clear to me. They both communicate to us that this world is not our home. We are a people who have a home elsewhere, and we're just passing through on a way to a better kingdom. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, let me read what he says. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transfer our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You see, we have it, as it were, a dual citizenship. Okay, we have a dual citizenship. Yes, we are citizens for a short while, citizens of this earthly city. We're citizens of this earthly state in this earthly nation. But praise the Lord that that's not our real homeland. Our real permanent lasting citizenship is in heaven. And if that's what we consider our home to be, let's live like it. The writer of the book of Hebrews was describing some of the great heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. You've all read Hebrews 11, right? All about Old Testament saints who lived with a sacrificial trust in the promises of God. But did you notice in the midst of his description of all that heroes of the faith, the writer pauses. He takes a moment and he pauses and he says this. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, they embraced them, they confessed that they were, here it is, strangers and pilgrims, sojourners and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had the opportunity to return. I I always like this word, but, right? Okay, but, okay. Let me say, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, For he has prepared a city for them. That's what those Old Testaments confess themselves to be. Strangers and pilgrims. Sojourners and exiles. Aliens and strangers. I don't care what you call them. And dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what you and I are also to view ourselves to be. Near the end of that same book, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 14 this, 
For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. We seek the one to come. And so let me ask you a few questions here. Is that how you view yourself as just a sojourner and an exile on this earth? Have you learned to view yourself as someone who is a citizen of another kingdom? A glorious and eternal kingdom that is not of this world? Do you see yourself as under the authority of the one who is greater than all earthly powers, the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you confess that when it comes to this world or the things of this world? You cannot settle down on them, that you're just a passing through. That's what God's word says that we are in Christ. That's why the people of this world look at us if we don't belong here. Because you know what the simple fact is? We don't. That's why we look so ridiculous whenever we try to live in a way that's indistinguishable from the people of this world. Because in fact, that's not who we really are, well, we, who we shouldn't be. It is my prayer. May God help us to think of ourselves as he says we are. Just sojourners and exiles on this earth who are in the service of a better king and who are traveling on our way to a better kingdom. Let me say that again. May God help us to think of ourselves as he says we are, just sojourners and exiles on this earth who are in the service of a better king and who are traveling on our way to a better kingdom. Amen. You see... We are sojourners and exiles. We are not of this world. So again, I notice as sojourners and exiles, the author says in the next verse, okay, or half of verse 11 and part of verse 12, he tells us what we are to do, okay? Not only who we are, but what are we to do? Because we are not of this world, Peter urges us to do two things. So let's read it. Peter urges us to first, you can read it here, second half of verse 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. The people of this world don't abstain from them. You can see it everywhere. Just look on television, look at wherever. They give themselves over to them wholeheartedly and are led around by them. But that's not who we are. We are to live differently. When Peter speaks of the things that are fleshly, those passions of the flesh. He's not talking about the normal things we need to live on earth. He's not talking about food and water and shelter and sleep and marriage. He's not even saying that we need to live like monks. 
Rather, he's talking about the things that are fleshy in the sense of those things that are contrary to God's express will for our lives. Paul spoke of the passions of the flesh in Romans 7, through 23, when he said this, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. See, Paul taught that there is a principle in us. There's a principle in us because of the product of a fallenness in Adam. What is it called? It's called fleshly or carnal. It fights against God's good will for us. Why? Well, let's see what Paul said later in the book of Romans. Romans 8, 7. He said, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. You see, the people of this world give themselves over to this carnal principle rather than to the law of God. For the world, the flesh is the guiding principle of what is to be considered right or wrong. They give themselves over to the passions of the flesh as a normal course of life on the earth. But as we learned in the previous part, we are not to do so. We are sojourners and exiles on this earth, and we're not to live as the people of this earth live. Plain and simple. Why? Because these, as it says in the scripture, this is because those passions. Did you read what it said about abstaining from the passions? It says, these passions in actual fact, okay, not what I'm making believe, Okay, fact is fact. They wage war against our souls. The people of the world think that life is found in gratifying these lusts. But in reality, in reality, they destroy the inner man that God has redeemed for himself. They war against the soul and that they will keep someone who is committed to them from being able to enter the true, eternal, lasting kingdom of which we are citizens. In 1 Corinthians 6, the apostle Paul wrote this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, no adulterers, no homosexuals, no sodomites, no thieves, no covetous, no drunkards, no revilers, no extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And if that wasn't plain enough, let's go a, a few more chapters in the Bible. Look at Galatians 5. And I know everybody's saying, oh, Galatians 5, that's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, did you, did you read just before the fruit of the Spirit passage? Here's what Paul wrote. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, 
evident. That means they can be seen a mile away. Here they are. Adulterer, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcerer, hatred, contentions, jealousies, ooh, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, okay, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you a hundred times in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if that's not bad enough, okay, let's go. Galatians, the next book is Ephesians. Okay, Ephesians 5 says, and he warns us that as citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we must keep ourselves from such practices and have no part in them. This is what he said in Ephesians 5. For this you know, that no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous, who is an idolater, has any, okay, any, okay, any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, everything I've told you in Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, for these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, okay, oh, y'all like the word therefore? Okay. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. If I may put it this way, yes, we are citizens of a kingdom that is glorious, rich, beautiful, and dignified, okay? We are citizens of that kingdom that's glorious, rich, beautiful, and dignified. But we are also sojourners and exiles who are traveling through a land that is fallen and poor and ugly and often dishonorable. And we are to keep ourselves distinct and separate from the wicked practices of this land that we're passing through. Why not of pride? But hopefully out of a humble recognition of who we are and who we belong to. Dear fellow sojourners and exiles, ask yourselves a few questions. Are you bringing dishonor to your true citizenship by embracing the practices of this world? If so, turn from them and be what you truly are in Christ. As his people, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. But let me make this real plain here, okay? Because I can see everybody's head turning. This doesn't mean that we become hermits. Okay? We make that plain, okay? We, we don't physically separate us ourselves from the people of this world. In fact, we are to live distinct and separate lives, but we are to take that distinction and separateness with us into the world where it can be seen. The Apostle Paul not only tells us to abstain from the passions of the flesh, but secondly, he goes on to say what we are to do. We are to live Life says, holy sojourners and exiles, here it is, 
keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. When Peter writes here of Gentiles, he's speaking as a Jewish man to Jewish believers. But he's using the word as a figure of speech for the unbelieving people of this world. It's like what Paul wrote when he said that we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In the NIV version, it says they use the word pagans. Okay. People, Peter here is telling us that we are to live our lives in Christ in an honorable and good and excellent way in the sight of the unbelieving people of this world. In fact, if you want that word honorable... Let me tell you what it literally means. It means in a beautiful way. Okay. A beautiful way. We are to live our lives that are beautiful. When I think of this, I think of what the Apostle Paul wrote in the second chapter of the letter to Pastor Titus. He gives Titus instructions on how he was to teach the Christian people to live in a good and honorable manner in every area of life. I hope you don't mind if I read at length, okay? If you want to follow me, you can turn to Titus 2. I'm going to be there for a little bit because I think Titus 2 tells us how to live honorable. And you say, does it get everybody? Well, just listen, okay? Let me read Titus 2, 1 through 10. But as for you, that's talking to Christians, okay? As for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Okay, that's, that's older men, Okay. Sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. The older women, likewise. Okay, not only you get everything that we get, but you get some more. Okay? That they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish, here's young women, you didn't get out of this either. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good obedient to their husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, okay, young men, you didn't get out of it either. Exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, sowing yourself to be a pattern of good work. I like that, a pattern of good work. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Okay, if you have people working for you, he exhorts bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good vitality that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in some things? No. In all things. Okay? 
You see, living honorable lives was an important thing for them to do because it had an impact, or it should have an impact, on the unbelieving people around us. Why was this so important? Well, let me give you three. This was so that, as Paul said, the word of God may not be blasphemed. Or so that unbelieving people may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Or, as it said in the end of Titus, that Christians may adorn, okay, that's where, the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. And you see, it wasn't just to make a good impression on non-Christians. It's because good, honorable, excellent behavior is what we've been called to do. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Paul went on in verses 11 through 14 of that same chapter in Titus and said this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, here it is, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Dear brothers and sisters, as sojourners and exiles on this earth, we are to make sure that we live like we are. How are we to do that? Well, I've just told you. First of all, we are to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against the soul. And secondly, we are to have our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. May God help us to do what we are to do as his sojourners and exiles on earth. And finally, in this passage, in the second half of verse 12, he tells us why we are to do what we're supposed to do, okay? What, what's the why? Okay, I, you know, I, I get so tired. Why, you know, we're a little kid, and you hear all the teachers, why, 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 why? Well, you know, Saint Christians were the same way, okay? So why are we to abstain from the passions of the flesh? Why are we to live honorable among the Gentiles. Amazingly, we're to live lives of distinction on this earth to invite others to become sojourners and exiles along with us. Peter wrote in that second half of chapter 12 this, and he did this, says, Peter wrote that we to do all this before the people of the fallen world, that, okay, I always like that phrase, that, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's a given fact, okay? You can't run away from this fact, okay? Now, you and I will be observed, okay? There's no way around it, okay? I don't care if it's at work, at school, on your play, you're running, you're jogging, you whatever. 
hiking, whatever, okay? You will be deserved. We've been put on earth to be observed. If we truly have the life of Christ in us, it cannot be hidden. And if we faithfully live for him, here's another fact. We will be spoken against. <laughs> it's a fact. But let's remember what the Lord Jesus said about it all. Okay, let's go back. Excuse me for a moment. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. The fifth chapter of the Matthew's Gospel. When he said this. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We are salt, okay? One of my downfalls is salt, okay? I don't even taste things, okay? Because <laughs> I did poor salt. But it's there for flavoring. Okay, we are, as it says in Colossians, seasoned our speech with grace. Okay, but if we've lost that salt... The rhetorical question is, how shall it be seasoned? Well, in fact, you know what a rhetorical question is. You already know what the answer is. It can't. See, we are the salt of the earth. The passage goes on and it says this. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Okay, you remember a little song we sang when we were little kids? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to shine. And then, you know, hide it under a bushel. No. Okay, yeah. We can't do that, okay? In fact, Matthew goes on at the end part of that verse and says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The day of visitation that Peter's talking about is not just the reference to the judgment. Okay, let me, let me make that real plain here, okay? Yes, it can mean the reference. But it is also a reference to the invitation of God's grace towards unbelieving people to repent of their sins. To realize that the things that they spoke against God's people were not true. And to believe on Jesus Christ and glorify him. And we, as faithful sojourners and exiles, we, okay, aliens and strangers, whatever you want to call it, we're what God uses, or should be what God uses to help point them the way to them. Okay? We're that light. We're that salt. Dear brothers and sisters, we are sojourners and exiles on this earth. We're just traveling through on our way to a better kingdom. And if we're doing that, let's make sure that we live lives 
of holy distinction sin in this world. How do we live lives of distinction? Well, we abstain from the passions of the flesh. And we live honorable among the Gentiles. And why do we do that? So that we can invite others to follow him as well. You know, everybody knows me that I love old, old hymns. So just before I close, I want to read three verses from a priceless hymn that says this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Second verse goes, they're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. My Savior pardoned me, and now I onward go. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. And final verse, just up in glory land, we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. You know, those cloud of witnesses that we said. Their song of sweetest praise drifts back from heaven's shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Let me remind you as I close and read our passage one more time. Beloved, beloved, I urge you, not command you, not threaten you, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, that's who we are, to do two things, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul, and secondly, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, yes, we are sojourners and exiles just passing through. We know a home is somewhere up in glory land, but we know that we are living here and we have to abstain. We have to live our lives as honorable so that we can be that salt and light in this dark world, Lord. So be with us. If we're not ready to be just a passing through, then I pray that we can, the Lord can convict us and that maybe some of us here can touch people's lives in a special way and we'll give you the glory and the praise.